This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. The Bob Rauschenberg Gallery at Florida Southwestern State College in Fort Myers is currently exhibiting a film installation titled The Exquisite Moving Corpse. The film installation is a collaboration of more than 60 internationally renowned artists who have each sequentially contributed one minute of film. There's no central plot or characters to follow through the hour-long film, in large part because each contributing artist only had the final frame of the previous artist's one-minute film as a jumping-off point to respond to. Even so, the result is something perhaps not as random as you might think. There are a number of themes and images that coincidentally seem to reappear throughout the film. The title of the project takes its name from the Café Parlor game created by surrealist artists in Paris in the 1920s. Originally, it was a word game where players added text without knowing the full text that had come before, and that involved into a game of drawing the human form where different artists would sketch the head, torso, and legs independently of each other, often resulting in some pretty crazy-looking creatures. The Exquisite Moving Corpse Project was the brainchild of renowned artists Chip Lord, Jack Massing, and Sean Miller, who created the first three videos of the project and then invited others to participate sort of like an artist's chainmail. The film installation premiered this summer uh, at the Archivo Emily Harvey Art Space in Venice, Italy. Now the Bob Rauschenberg Gallery is among the first venues in the U.S. to present the installation in a gallery setting. Joining me now is one of the project's initiating and contributing artists, Jack Massing. He's perhaps best known for his collaborative work as The Art Guys with fellow conceptual artist, the late Michael Galbraith. For more than 35 years, they worked together to challenge and expand the dialogue and boundaries of art with hundreds of exhibitions in traditional museum and gallery settings, as well as staged exhibitions and performances on all sorts of non-traditional venues. Their direct-to-the-public methodology often circumvented the established conventions of the art world. And it'll be exactly one year ago next week that Jack Massing last appeared on this program when we explored his collaborative exhibition, also at the Rauschenberg Gallery with fellow artist William Wegman, titled Too Clever by Half, a call-and-response project. Jack Massing, welcome back to Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. Well, thanks a lot. I hope I don't sound too bad. I'm, um, you know, having a sandwich because, you know, that's my lunch break. Okay, (laughs) that's just fine. Uh, I'm also joined in studio by Bob Rauschenberg Gallery Director of Exhibitions and Collections, Jay Dellinger. He curated the premiere installation of The Moving Exquisite Corpse again this past summer in Venice during a month-long residency there. So we'll talk about that as well. Jade, welcome back. Thank you so much, John. It's great to be here. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So, Jade, I mentioned this project takes its name from a parlor-style game invented by surrealist artists in the 20s. But I was hoping you could, to start off, expound a little on where this term exquisite corpse comes from. Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's it's. It's almost 100 years now, actually. It's, it was 1925, and it was in the home of Marcel Duhamel and uh, André Breton, who was a poet and one of the founders of surrealism, uh, along with Duhamel and uh, Yves Tanguy, a surrealist painter of great renown, and Jacques Prévert uh, were the four Uh, initial contributors, um, taking on this sort of parlor game of using words, folding paper, um, with their first 
uh, attempt at the game. Um, the, the resulting text actually, though, in French uh, was the exquisite corpse shall drink the young wine. And so uh, the name was sort of then, you know, uh, uh, established for this game that would continue, as you described, as, as something of a, again, a, a way in which the surrealists could sort of free themselves uh, and their subconscious and to work collectively, collaboratively, and to uh, have this great, you know, sort of joyful surprise um, at the end of revealing, unfolding the paper. Yeah, and since its inception, um, the term and the concept has just really stayed with us. Uh, in the 40s, John Cage and some other collaborators composed, um, you know, party pieces using this technique. Uh, there's a Swedish composer um, who used it for an orchestral work that's actually titled Exquisite Corpse. And then, of course, it's, it crosses all kinds of artistic mediums. You have that... Uh, that's that literary technique, the sort of the that the, the William Burroughs used. And then more recently, I thought I was reading a book by Jonathan Safran Foer called Tree of Codes, also uses this technique. And then this doesn't even get into the visual art world. What do you think accounts for the, the whole concept of exquisite corpse remaining so prominent all these years? Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, I must say all of this really has lent itself to, you know, our desire to pursue this in terms of also making the exhibition in the Rauschenberg Gallery in the context of Florida Southwestern State College because, you know, the art department, the music department, the creative writing folks, everyone has made it a part of their curriculum as we've moved forward in this semester. Um, but it is remarkable. I mean, I think uh, having, you know, studied it in school and grad school and whatnot, um, you know, my recollection of feeling the impact of the exquisite corpse really goes back to a show that I think maybe Jack saw too. And it's possible actually that a couple of these artists participated in. Uh, there was an exhibition in the early 1990s in New York at the Drawing Center of the exquisite corpse and a whole slew of any and every uh, living kind of contemporary important artists participated in that thing, including actually, as you mentioned, William Burroughs did uh, did a, a exquisite corpse with Laurie Anderson and Rene Ricard, the poet, and Helen Marden, who was a former Rauschenberg assistant, actually. So, so that served a bit as inspiration. And I think, you know, Jack can talk about how they got to this in the midst of the pandemic and with quarantine and everything that was happening. But but it, it remains incredibly vital because um, I think, you know, it, it, it is a set of rules that is so freeing somehow. Yeah. Jack, can you take us back? Because um, I know this has been a little more than two years in the making. Tell us a little bit about how you and Sean Miller and Chip Lord kind of came up with this. Well, um, quite frankly, uh, what Jade's hit upon, which is the, um, the show at the Drawing Center in New York, which I did see, and I, I had already known about, you know, the drawing game. I didn't know that much about the um, literary history of the exquisite corpse, but um, that that show at the drawing center was really quite inspiring, I think, to a lot of people. And I had bought one of the catalogs for the show, and Mike and I had used it throughout the years as a teaching tool. The the idea of the exquisite corpse as a drawing game, because. It, in a way, it's just really interesting how it uh, how it works. When you understand the process, you want to do it, right? It's it's interesting and engaging of a process, as a process, I should say. 
and with students, it's really effective because it allows them to be free. Um, there's no pressure on them to, you know, do something really great. They're just playing and and bouncing off of other students, and they they get a lot out of it. And when we do that, uh, do the drawing exercise with let's say 30 kids um, you end up having 30 amazing drawings and we used to just put them up at the end we'd let the kids go out of the room and Mike and I would put them up and then the kids would come back in and they were so excited to see how their part interacted with their friends or their you know fellow students parts in the drawings and once you got them there um, Trying to teach creativity and understand what art is became much easier. Yeah. Um, since this started in the pandemic, I'm wondering if that created an opportunity. Because you have so many amazing artists involved in this who, if they weren't stuck in isolation, had all these other plans, I'm sure, that had just been put on indefinite hold. And maybe this was a way to maybe get it done more quickly. Or conversely, was it like pulling teeth to get all these artists to turn their submissions in on time so you could move on to the next one? Well, I, I like to um, compare it to a wheelbarrow full of frogs. Okay. <laughs> That's a very yeah. clear image. Yes. <laughs> so to, and to get back to more directly to answer your question, the catalog from the drawing center was on my table. Um, Sean and Chip and I would talk um, on Zoom once a week. Why we did that, I don't exactly know. I think we were just... Um, I had collaborated with with Sean and I had collaborated with Chip and and a and vice versa. So the the three of us each collaborated with each other and the Venn diagram of our collaboration was missing all three of us working together. So I think we were just chit chatting and coming up with ideas. And all had been to the Rauschenberg Gallery. Yeah, to and, give talks, and a lot of it does exhibitions, feed through the Rauschenberg Gallery. But um we were, we were kind of lamenting about about being in isolation, and um, not traveling and not being together in the same room. And um, Sean and Chip said, "Well, let's do something. Let's figure something out." And we ended the conversation. And then I turned around, and there on the table was this catalog. So I just sat there and looked at it, and it kind of popped into my head. And the next week, when we talked. I think I emailed them prior. I said, how about an exquisite moving corpse? And they immediately got it. And so the next week we developed it. And then about a week after that, we were off to the races. And we kind of thought it would take a few months to produce. But in reality, it was about two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jack, this may be more of a reflection of the lens through which I experienced the, the project rather than any kind of intent. But I, I noticed that several of the film submissions seem to have this overt kind of Florida sense of place sensibility to them. Um, specifically, there was the um, Fresh to Tusi piece. Um, the one from Leah Floyd and Christina Molina didn't have that necessarily, but I know Leah Floyd to be, you know, like a Florida-based artist with, with, with ties yeah. to the Sunshine State. Was there any emphasis on selecting artists with a Florida connection, or was that not really a consideration? It was really not a consideration. So the way we divvied it up is that um, because there were three of us and we were 
trying to go to 60 minutes, an hour, because it's a nice bracket. It's a nice kind of time frame. We each were um, able to select 19 other artists. And um, th the overlay was just random, completely random. Sean, of course, is is also teaching at the University of Florida. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, and, Florida artists, and so. one or two others like Sergio Vega, you know, are are uh, are Florida based. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. that was natural, I think. OK. Um, and as I watched the film, I was really struck by the number of coincidences I noticed. Like there's this blue and white checker pattern that appears in at least three of the videos. Uh, mm -hmm. Mary Mattingly's video um, employed this time lapse element. And then that was immediately followed by Natalie Ludic's submission, which also had kind of a stop motion effect to it. I thought that was remarkable just because she couldn't have known that the immediately yeah. preceding video would use a similar effect. Uh, fire was another prominent element I noticed throughout a lot of the videos. And, and Jack and Jade, I'm, I'm curious about your observations of coincidences or, or, or themes that seem to spontaneously reappear. Well, I, I was really um, lucky in that I was I was assembling the whole project, so I got to see it unfold very slowly, and and in a little more detail, I suppose, than a, than the first time viewer. Mm -hmm. So um, when when Natalie Leduc, who lives in Canada, um, did her piece, um, I was I was really amazed because she actually took the last frame and. Um, printed it out and made the paper airplane, which she threw into the fire. Oh, wow. And, okay. Which it's, it's kind of hard to see it, but if you, if you pay close attention, you'll, you'll see that she was actually making an airplane out of that, uh, out of that uh, final frame. And she's up on Vancouver Island in, in, in Canada. Um, as an she, artist, Art historian, I must say, I, I I really have loved both Chip Lord and Mel Chin's uh, sort of making playful references and recreations of of work from that period. Dadaist works yeah. by Marcel Duchamp, the bicycle wheel, yes, and the yeah. Baroness, you know, Freitag Loringhoven um, with right. her God piece. Yeah, and and luckily for us, Mel was. Um, kind of fresh off of working on that project and um, re, uh, reimagined some of the parts and props from that. Um, and Mel's piece is, is, is really beautiful. There's so many beautiful pieces, it's hard to pick a favorite, you know, but um, I think what, what ended up happening is there's this, um, not isolation, feeling of isolation, I think that comes up because you're thinking about the process in which it was made or the, mm -hmm. the time in which it was made. I think if this was made in a completely different time, non-COVID time, non-pandemic time, I think it would have a very similar feel to it, oddly. Um, but I did notice a lot of nature and a lot of animal um, because I, th I think there's a lot of worry um, from artists about climate change and about the, the effect of man, the effect that man has on the planet. And I think that's a really strong, important um, impulse that we need to work toward and, and try and, and figure out. Because I think it's, it's one of the most serious things that I can imagine happening to us is that we're boiling the planet. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that was, yeah, that, that definitely was a theme that we continued to see move through there. Um, Jack, now we have this completed hour-long compilation film, but does that necessarily mean the game is over? Um, have you considered maybe picking it back up with the final frame of the last video for a second round of Exquisite Moving Corpse at some point in the future? We we have talked about that. We have, we've talked about um, a more um, intense sort of maybe... Um, picking um, 20 artists and do two minutes and then have have it done in a little more high production value way. Because some people, I mean, it doesn't really matter how you do it, but some people didn't try too hard. Um, and that's evident, and which is fine. And I love the, um, I love that attitude. You don't necessarily have to put a lot of effort into making something great. But I think there was a little bit of laziness here and there by some artists. And, and the only real reason why I can say that is because they had related that to me after watching it. They said, man, I wish I would have been more into it, you know, or I would have tried harder had I known how interesting this was going to turn out. Not just putting but a I, tire out in the field, you mean? Ooh, Jade. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just joining the show, we're exploring the Exquisite Moving Corpse collaborative film project now at the Bob Rauschenberg Gallery through December 10th. And we're speaking with contributing and initiating artist Jack Massing, along with Rauschenberg Gallery Director of Exhibitions and Collections, Jade Dellinger. Um, Jade, I know we always try to emphasize the Rauschenberg connection with anything you bring to the gallery. Um, you know, Bob was certainly known for an interdisciplinary approach with a conceptual edge, certainly embraced working collaboratively. It seems like this installation checks a lot of those boxes. Absolutely. And, and I think actually that's what was so brilliant about what Jack contributed in the sense of playing on the Duchampian uh, uh, bicycle uh, wheel, um, but also, you know, picking up iconography that is so typically Rauschenberg in, in the tire. And, mm -hmm. and in fact, then in the third film or the third short, um, Sean Miller does quite the same. And so, you know, whether or not it was fully intended, I, that's a nice nod for us and something I often point out that, you know, thematically, it certainly connects to Bob. Bob, of course, was also well known for for his work in terms of thinking about collage and collage of imagery. And, you know, this would be right up his alley, I think. All right. And yeah. I was, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jack. Oh, no, no. I was just, I was in agreement. Okay. okay. Um, go well, ahead. Jade, you know, I mentioned earlier your month-long residency this past summer in Venice, where you, you curated the premiere presentation of this installation. Um, tell us a little about that. Well, um, prior to COVID, there, there is a foundation uh, called the Emily Harvey Foundation that is both New York and, and Venice-based, and they uh, invite people to have residencies for at minimum one month and at maximum usually six months. But um, I'd been invited, and because of COVID, um, it was sort of postponed in the interim. Um, luckily, uh, Sean Miller was also then invited, and in the midst of all of this, as we were beginning to coordinate trips and thinking about the Venice Biennale, which is the big every two-year largest exhibition and historically perhaps most important in the world that happens in Venice, contemporary art, uh, in multiple sites citywide. Um, Jack and Philip Corner, who we've worked with, a Fluxus artist, who is actually not a part of Exquisite Moving Corpse, but um, and Sean Miller were invited to have an exhibition in Genoa with a very 
significant gallery there. So all of this, we were, we managed to kind of coordinate. Jack came to Venice. Uh, Sean and I also went to Genoa. Sean was staying in the apartment below me in Venice and um, for the month. And he actually had a, an even more kind of extended stay. Um, and we, you know, in conjunction with La Biennale, um, were able to use the Emily Harvey's gallery, which is the archive of Emily Harvey, to uh, present an exhibition based on this theme, a little bit expanded. Of course, there was visual artworks, but but while Jack and Sean and Chip continue to do even one-night screenings or to participate in film festivals and so forth, um, there the idea really was to have a kind of also immersive installation. Um, not on the scale that now we've managed to do this at the Rauschenberg Gallery. We've created a custom screen. Jack helped to select giant beanbag chairs to fill the room so that it's comfortable and the students are making frequent return visits. Um, and really, we've transformed the gallery, as we often do, but into a movie theater um, that allows this kind of wonderful presentation screening at at that large scale as you experienced yesterday. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it truly is. A, it's a perfect space. I, I'm going to come back and watch it again. I feel like it'll be a whole new experience. Um, I understand there's going to be a panel discussion um, slated for November. Then it's going to involve some of the artists involved. Is there much you can tell us about that, Jade? And, and Jack, will you be returning to Southwest Florida for that, if you can? Yes, I will. And I'm, I'm very excited because I've made so many uh, great friends there. Um, oddly, um, uh, FSW reminds me incredibly of the college or school that I went to first after high school called NCCC, Niagara County Community College. And it, it wasn't a university, you know, it wasn't an Ivy League school, but it was populated with instructors and professors who were in a way, very similar to what's going on at FSW. They're very dedicated and very smart and really interesting people. Um, I found that like some of the people that uh, when I went to school at University of Houston, some of the professors there were a lot lazier than they were in, at, at a community college in, in Niagara Falls, where I grew up. So um, I was very impressed by by the people there, and I, I embraced them and, and had great conversations as they came into the, the, my studio that I set up in the gallery for those seven months. Well, wonderful kudos for FSW there. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really important that, that younger people that don't necessarily have the ability to go to a big-name school have equal or better instruction from local people. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, a, a significant advantage to this kind of installation is that it can really be set up to be viewed at multiple venues simultaneously. Where else is this installation going in the immediate future or, or where else can it be experienced now? Well, it's it was in Gainesville up at University of Florida for a week. Um, it was it was shown up there. And, and then in two weeks, we'll be in um, San Francisco showing it at a, um, a, a theater in the city, the Roxy Theater. They did a one-night screening at Microscope Gallery in New York in, New in York. August. Yeah. yeah you've yeah, done so, something in Dublin. Yeah. And in Marfa. Marfa. I, I showed it in Marfa for a bunch of uh, friends of mine that um, gather there every once in a while. 
So um, that was actually a great screening because the, you know, the people that were there were just amazing and mostly people that I knew. Um, it was really, really a nice screening. Well, I screened it in Houston. About 150 people came to that. And and the feedback here has been tremendous. I mean, the students are coming for return visits, but we've, in just these first couple of weeks, had more than 800 people through the gallery. So, and And it really is set up, you know, not to accommodate more than 20 or maybe 30, but, uh, um, everyone seems to be loving it. And again, you know, our faculty has really embraced it and has made it a part, part of their curriculum. So oh, fantastic. we're also, we're also working on two, uh, screenings of it, one in Georgia and one in Kentucky. So I love that yeah. Fort Myers gets to be part of this as well. That's great. And unfortunately, we are about out of time for today's show. But I, I want to well, thank, thank you, John. Oh, thank you. We've been speaking with a renowned artist, Jack Massing. He, along with fellow artists Chip Lord and Sean Miller, initiated the collaborative film project slash game, The Exquisite Moving Corpse, now available to experience at the Bob Rauschenberg Gallery at Florida Southwestern State College. Um, and Jack, again, thanks so much for coming back on Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. Thanks, John. And I just wanted to let you know a uh, little known fact. Jade's middle name is Pipsqueak, um, <laughs> which, which a lot of us, you know, it's an endearing nickname. So you're welcome to use it now that we've spoken to you so much. All right. Well, thank you also to Rauschenberg Gallery Director of Exhibitions and Collections, Jade Pipsqueak Dellinger. Always great there to you have you in studio. <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs> and for more about this exhibition, visit RauschenbergGallery.com. And to hear more from Jack and Jade, check out our episode of this program from last year when we were also joined with by William Wegman. And Jack and Jade have both been featured guests on WGCU's podcast, Three Song Stories, episodes 167 and 191, respectively. You can find links to all of that at WGCU.org slash GCL. For Jared Gonzalez, Richard Chinqui, and Tara Callaghan, I'm John Davis. This is WGCU NPR for Southwest Florida.